welcome to the Bloke and a Bird Show, where this week, the first clear signs that Autosport is starting up and kicking off. And we had Daytona, but yeah, that's NASCAR, whatever. But the the website? No, Autosport in general. Because ah. not only was there winter testing for Formula One this week, but also uh, IndyCar's preseason testing occurred uh, in Phoenix this weekend as well. Something happened there. There were cars that went around a, a, an oval. That's about all I know. But it did happen. <laughs> I saw the posts. <laughs> Some guy I got posts. no words. None. No words. We, we have to learn more about IndyCar, but we're not well, there yet. <laughs> wait a minute. You've been saying for months, you know, since we're going to the whole uh, IndyCar race at Mid-Ohio this year, that we're going to learn about IndyCar. Now, you've not scheduled a lunch and learn yet to outline everything we need to know. You've not bulleted this down into an infographic for me. What what are you doing to, quote, and I use air quotes here on our podcast, um, to learn IndyCar? What are we doing? How are we, what is the enablement plan going to be? I don't know what your plan is, but I did go so far as to follow their Facebook page. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> no rushing into this one. We're not. <laughs> we are so not even in the shallow I, end of I, the I pool. Put, I put all the races on our calendar so we know when they are. I don't know what we're going to do when they conflict with Formula One races. I... I think that that week we're going to have to make sure that the boy can do all the cooking and the laundry so that we can just veg in front of the television for the weekend. Uh, <laughs> hey, like, like I said. All right. I would like mm -hmm. you to start scheduling and planning out our introduction to IndyCar um, enablement plan. Actually... Why do I have to do that? I do all the Formula One stuff. IndyCar's yours. <laughs> That way, you can follow Max. <laughs> but I don't know if my brain is big enough to hold both Indy and Formula Car information. I'm just a girl. Formula Car? Formula Car? Yes, Formula Car. You, you know, you'd think by now, at least you'd have that part right. There's so much to learn. And, and I'm a girl. So much to learn. You've already sat through this. <laughs> Seven hours of racing jargon and mindless statistics. Here we come. Oh, snacks. Mm-hmm. And they're race-themed. Well, vroom, vroom. <laughs> I spend a lot of my time working on the race-themed snacks. Oh, is that it? <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, while you do the research on IndyCar... <sighs> Don't make me project manage this. Let, let, let's talk about some Formula One stuff. Okay. And since we have nothing to talk about with Andy. Let, let's first talk about not happening. Not happening. Once again, VW has come out and said, um, yeah, we have no plans to go into Formula One. However, their reasons are not what you'd think. Okay. You know, we, we've written off Formula – or we've written off VW's entry into Formula One because of the whole diesel emission scandal. But that's actually not what uh, Wolfgang Durheimer says, who's the new uh, CEO over there. What he says 
He says, obviously, Formula One is not on their agenda right now. The situation is not predictable enough to make the kind of investment required. Before you commit the kind of money you ne the money needed, you must see five years of rules stability. Has Formula One ever had five years of rules stability? <coughs> uh, not that I know of. He says... There can't be the possibility of rules changes, of more or less engine cylinders coming in, or the hybrid system changing away from technology you are developing on road cars. If you are a big business making a big investment, you expect to have some influence on the setup with an assurance the previous owner or the present ownership will last. In F in F one, it seems the owners will not be there forever, and that creates some instability. Interesting. Well, I mean he's right. Yeah. But, you know, until we have the death of Bernie, I'm not sure that we're going to see some stability. Even then, I think that it's going to be a couple of years of turmoil before that happens. Turmoil? Turmoil. There you go. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Miss Formula Car. <laughs> turmoil? See where this is going. <laughs> <laughs> Words. Use them. The real ones. Um, so moving on. Moving on. You know, the last week and the week before, we talked about how it appeared that the drivers were behind the halo. Yeah, and all set. They, they wanted the, the head protection uh, solution. This week, it seems a few drivers are starting to speak out and say, "Well, yeah, I know the Grand Prix Drivers Association's all for this. I'm not so sure. I'm digging it." Okay. Nico Rosberg mentioned it last week that uh, he wasn't completely sure that this was a great idea and even nico hulkenberg you know who has driven and seen success in a covered cockpit says that uh he hasn't changed his views he thinks formula one is wrong to pursue the closed cockpit route um despite the fact that it's coming he says that um f1 should remain true to its tradition of being open cockpit single seaters so basically, it's the Nico faction. Apparently. So if your name is Nico, you are opposed to a halo. And the strategy group and the F1 commission, or excuse me, the strategy group met this past week and uh, listened to the Nico's opinions and agreed to bring in a halo for 2017. <laughs> Yet again, proving that the Nikos don't rate in Formula One strategy meeting. So basically, it was... Just to be clear as to what the meeting was, because there were some other changes that have come down this week. Oh, okay. Um, the meetings this week were the uh, F1 strategy group and the FIA's Formula One group. However, it was not the final rulemaking F1 commission. Right. So we still have other uh, hurdles to cross. Yeah, I believe the F1 commission meets this coming week. And they're the ones who do the final checkbox before all of this stuff happens. So we've got two out of three done. Hey, you know what Meatloaf says? Two out of three ain't bad. Well, it depends. You know, if you're Bernie Eccleston, Bernie has been speaking to the press again. Oh, man, shouting at clouds. Oh, yeah, and he was definitely shouting at clouds this week. Um he uh, was interviewed by the Daily Mail, where he said, and this is a quote from Bernie, the man whose sole purpose in life is to promote Formula One as a sport. He says, 
Quote, I wouldn't spend my money to take my family to watch a race. No way. What's the point when you pretty much know that Lewis Hamilton will probably put the car on pole and more likely than not win the race, and the other Mercedes will be on the podium? This is how we promote the sport. Eccleston. You know something? He didn't mind when we had four straight years of, of, every, Red, Bull. of Red Bull and Vettel being on pole and Vettel being on the podium. Well, he did because Sebastian Vettel didn't promote himself. Yeah, but he never came out and said these types of things. And I'll let, I would lay my whole dollar bet down that if it was a Ferrari, if it was, you know, Vettel in a Ferrari for four straight years, we wouldn't be having this comment. Well, But you know something? I think he misses something. Oh, I, ha- I, I have more before you even go can, here. I, I have a final thought. Okay. Let me, let me finish my thought. How many years have the Harlem Globetrotters been playing basketball? Like 30 or 40. Okay. We know every time you go to a Harlem Globetrotters game. Oh, you're going to put yourself in really dangerous territory right here. That they're going to win. Mm-hmm. And they put on a great show. Mm-hmm. Wait, wait. Now, I know it's scripted and all of those things, but listen very carefully. Bernie complains that the show's not good, and yet we always know who's going to win. And that's my concern. Is There are a lot of sports out there where people are dominant for a period of time. And you go there knowing you're going to see a team, a particular team win. But it doesn't always ar- have to be an upset. But Bernie's argument here is that this is not good for the show. And the amount of complaining that has gone on through the press and through the fans that the show that Formula One is putting on right now is not a good show. And that's why Bernie wants to do stupid things. And this is why I said you didn't want to go here, because Bernie's answer is to do stupid things like put sprinklers on the tracks so that they can randomly mix things up, give everyone medals, and double points, and possibly spike strips, and whatever other <laughs> stupid Bernie brainwave that he comes up with. So don't go there on the show. That's where DRS came from. That's well, where, no, I mean... That's what I'm trying to say, is that the show doesn't have to be bad because one person is winning. I'm trying to explain that sometimes watching poetry in action is just as good as having an upset every week. I mean, that's my problem is sometimes in the course of a of a of history, you have teams that are dominant for a period of time. I you know how well I know sport ball out there, but mm-hmm. I remember there was a period of time where like the Chicago Bulls won an awful lot. Mm-hmm. Um okay, I'll take the contrary opinion. Do you know that you can fill Wrigley Field every single game and they know they're pretty much gonna lose? I mean, that's it, the same but concept. Compl- but it's not the same concept. It, it, it truly isn't. Because how you get through that game is very different. Yes, there, there is the possib- probability that they're not going to do well. But the game will still be good. It may still be a nail-biter of a game. There may still be stuff going on. The argument here when it comes to them doing this stuff for the show and the problem here is that, yes, Mercedes wins. But when Mercedes is winning by, 
lapping three quarters of the field and nobody else has a chance of coming close, that's the argument. When the problem is, and, and we're going to talk about this later, but you want to jump into it now. <laughs> When you've set up the rules in such a manner that it does not allow for close racing, it does not allow for competition because the arrow is such that if cars get too close to each other, they can't stay close to each other. So they can't battle and they can't fight. That's a problem. And that's the issue. Except that in no time in history, and I've got the book on the table to prove it, at no time in the history of Formula One have the races been as close as they are now have the winners been as tight as they have been in recent history? But so you also, can't equate tightness to good racing. But there also hasn't been a team that has gotten on the podium for every race except two over the course of three years. It's never happened before. I understand and, and, that. And that's the issue, and that's what he's talking about. It's, it's that fact that there is a better than higher likelihood that not only is Mercedes going to put both cars on podium, they're going to do it by a wide margin. Well, okay. I have two questions for you. The first of which is, are you actually agreeing with Bernie or are you playing devil's advocate? I'm playing devil's advocate because (laughs) where you're going with this really isn't the right direction. And I agree with some pieces of what Bernie has to say, how he's saying it and what he's doing now, and the other things he had to say. Well, go on and continue so I can get mad at him more. (laughs) He went on to describe the F1 commission as a cartel, given that two big engine manufacturers effectively have right of veto of rule changes until 2020. What he says is this sort of thing is commonly known as a cartel, and cartels are illegal. We are running something that is illegal. On top of all that, it is anti-competitive. Now, Bernie says this. Never mind the fact that when Sauber and Force India went to the EU and said exactly this about what Bernie's doing, he said, yeah, that's a big deal. Whoopie-doo. They're not going to do anything. They don't care. Now he's going to turn around and say this because he doesn't get his way. Wah. This is my problem with all things that Bernie does. He only sees unfairness if... If it affects his little pet projects or or somehow him, but he's a bazillionaire, so I don't know how much really affects him. But it's 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 not unfair for Sauber to never have a chance, but it's unfair that his precious little Ferrari or his Red Bull doesn't get close enough to the Mercedes. Because did we just miss the fact that Oh my word, one team actually got it right at the moment of a rule change. And why are we not celebrating the fact that a team got it right? The the problem with that, yes, you're right. One team got it right. And we have seen this many times throughout Formula One history. A team has gotten it right. But what Formula One has done always, and if you look through the rules changes, is that when a team gets it right, they then turn around within a year or two and go, whatever that thing was that you got right, that's now illegal. (laughs) Instead of letting everybody else figure out how to do that same thing and catch up, they go, yeah, whatever you just did, that's illegal. You can't have that anymore. But Mercedes got this so right at such a fundamental level that they don't know what to ban. Because the only option would be to completely ban the entire engine, and that doesn't work. (laughs) that's the problem with that thought i understand and that's what's so frustrating for the bernies 
out there is they can't control because they can't this is not a double exhaust it's not a, a wing that's that's mm-hmm. making the difference it is so fundamental to the very nature of the car and hello Mercedes got it right and they get their they should get their shining moment and they're setting records off the charts and you know something when the engine changes again I would lay again my dollar bet down and say Mercedes isn't going to get it right next time the odds are not in their favor to get it right that right that many times in a row Red Bull got it right and Red Bull had the power that is Adrian Newey behind them and they had it for four years. And yeah, there might have been a little bit more drama because for the first year we solidly watched Formula One. What was it? Nine winners in nine races? Yeah, that's because they couldn't wrap their heads around the tires, which was... Right. That was also unprecedented. E- e- equally as so. But I just don't see a problem, and it has nothing to do with the fact that I'm a Lewis fan or that I really appreciate what Mercedes is doing right now. It, it really, I just don't understand why... We literally have this back-to-back comparable thing where we had sheer dominance. We had seasons that would wrap up by just slightly over Mm mid-season. And Vettel was the guy. I mean, it became statistically impossible, if not just at least very improbable, that anybody else was going to touch him. Red Bull would have the, the constructors way early. And yet... Japan. Yeah, Japan. And yet we're not... We didn't argue... Then there was some, there was, but it was not the visceral argument. And I get, but but what there was, the one key difference, especially in 2013, what there was is the fans were reacting, especially what did it start around? Not Silverstone, maybe it was Silverstone, when all of a sudden Seb would win and the fans would boo. Mm -hmm. The fans were reacting to it. Well, I will grant the other piece of this is Seb wasn't very likable. I don't think that I think that his I think that he has become a little bit more because he's played he's played more. He's let some of his personality show. But because he's not. I'm not sure about that, because if you listen to what Christian Horner used to say back then in response, what we are seeing now is what Seb has always been. He hasn't changed his personality. He hasn't changed his nature. I think he's become more so, public with it, though. That may be what I it think is. he was very he was very German reserved, mm-hmm. and you didn't get to know him as a person. Now you know you have that whole clip segment of the the jokes he's made, yeah. and things like that. I think he becomes more likable that way. But in in listening but to I, the behind the scenes stuff and, and, and stories that were done about Seb when he was at Red Bull. That's his normal personality. But I think that he he hurt himself because Mark Webber was very liked. Yes. And the battle between Mark and Seb didn't go very well in yeah. in the pub, in the court of public opinion. Now you you contrast that with a Nico and Lewis battle. Lewis is more liked than Nico is. Mm-hmm. So as long as Lewis is winning, that's a good thing. I mean, what happened when Nico got booed? Well, that was different. <laughs> Again, that was different. That was Nico made some pe- some poor choices on the track. That was not necessarily a clean win. 
Right. He would not have won that race if he had not gotten too aggressive and taken Lewis out and, and broken the cardinal rule of your team. Get your two cars home. Yeah. Now, so, I'm sorry I kept interrupting you. The last piece, because this was not the, those were not the only two places that Bernie trained his guns at. Okay, what else? He this? went after Jean Todd as well. Um, while on one hand, he praised uh, FIA President Jean Todd's efforts to improve road safety. He suggested that Formula One has become merely a side issue for the former Ferrari team manager. His Bernie's exact words, Jean, unfortunately, has become a diplomat. He's doing a very good job for road safety, but his interest in Formula One is purely a result of being president of the FIA. He doesn't look to do anything that might destabilize what he really wants to do in the U.N. He should carry on with the other stuff, but hand over responsibility for Formula One to somebody else. You mean somebody that Bernie can control? Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of wondering if he's suggesting, oh, I don't know, maybe him or Max Mosley or... Christian Horner. I don't think Christian would take it. You know, that was at some point. I mean, point, we've heard that rumor before, but I don't think Christian would take it. The Bernie puppet? Yeah, the, the Bernie puppet. But it, it, it doesn't address the real issue. I mean, some of what Bernie says does. The fact that right now, yes, they've got these two teams that are have enough power, which, granted, he gave them that power, but have enough power to overrule his crackpot schemes, which is both good and bad. (laughs) My problem is that Bernie lives so much in a moment that is disconnected from his previously bad decisions that instead of coming out and saying, you know, I made, at the time I made choices that seemed to make sense, but they have ceased to make sense. Instead, he wants to place blame on other people for power he gave. And no, I don't think teams should be able to determine the rules. I don't think that should be the way it works because that doesn't make any sense to me logically. But Bernie has argued both sides of every argument for so long that I go back to he's an old man shouting at clouds. Mm -hmm. Well, somebody who has not yet agreed to the old man shouting at clouds. It turns out that the Haas Formula One team has yet to agree to commercial terms with Bernie. Oh, could they not be on the television? Um, they could be on the television. They just wouldn't get paid mm. is how this works. Um, now, this is not the first time that this has happened. Marussia also had the same problem. Um, initially, they were left out of the seven-year deals that Bernie had in place with the other teams in 2013. Um, there was ultimately a return to an arrangement which the 11th place team became eligible for a $10 million ex gratia annual payment after it signed its deal with the FOM. Um, Renault also prolonged its deal, which we knew about. Um, they're hoping that they can get this sorted, but we'll see. But as it stands right now, Haas would be in, ineligible to com, to claim any prize revenues if a commercial deal is not struck with FOM. Interesting. Yeah. So this is kind of important. This is a lot of money. Well, especially as we talk a little bit later about Haas. Yes. So should we talk a, while we were on the subject of Bernie and promoting this sport? Yes. 
Roman Grosjean's a little upset. Yes, he is. So I don't know, and I missed it, unfortunately. Um, Roman Grosjean put up a feed during the testing, both of some on-track action and in the suite. Before, before he even got, got to the track, I think, was some of what he was – he had his live feed going. And he had a million views on Twitter or YouTube. I forget which one had the things. But he had a million followers watching what was going on. And his whole goal mm -hmm. was to peel back the curtain and show some of the behind-the-scenes stuff. So I don't even think that he was infringing on the on-track action, which is a big no-no. Uh, I, I believe – well, it was during their filming day. He, he had it going. So it wasn't even during testing. So this was a day that was set aside for the team to do filming and nothing else on those special tires and all that stuff. He was live streaming. Right. And FOM came out and came to him and said, you need to take it down um, because it violates their social media policy. So Roman Grosjean has come out and said that the – Formula One's social media policy is far too narrow. And in a world where they're losing television viewers, they are missing where people want to get this media. Well, it's more than just that. I mean, that's part of it. The other part is the fact that, you know, they just rolled out, and, and we'll talk about this a little later, but they just rolled out that actually, we might as well talk about it now. At the, at the end of each race, one of the awards that's going to now be given on the podium is this Driver of the Day Award that fans get to vote on throughout the race. Wouldn't it make sense then to allow the drivers to have a greater engagement and interaction with the fans in a variety of channels as part of this Driver of the Day Award? Truly. I mean, that seems to be the whole point of this is to have greater engagement from the fans. And the number one folks that you want to be engaging with the fans more than anybody else because they are the key part of why the fans are there. Sorry, they're not there for Toto Wolf and Nikki Lauda. They <laughs> are there for the drivers. I, I think you're exactly right. Um, and I think that that's one of the, you know, to go back to our research project, um, I think that's one of the things that you and I both are looking forward to as we learn more about Indy is that they break down that fourth wall mm -hmm. um, a little bit more. Max, we're, we're looking for you. Um, but it's a matter of Formula One has always been very insular. And why not break it down in a way with the social media? I mean, well, the drivers have social media accounts. They all, they, a lot of them are interacting with their fans in some method. But why not encourage that yeah well you you got to remember that bernie views access of any sort as leverage that he can use for deals and everything else that's truly what it is and you know i i don't argue with the fact that there needs to be these licensing agreements and you know i'll admit that some of our audio may be extra legal but um <laughs> <laughs> there needs to be these licensing agreements in place. There is absolutely no reason, like, as Bernie says, Formula One is a premium product, and they deserve, I agree, they deserve to earn revenue off the various media and content streams that are produced by the sport. The other piece of that, though, is that they have to make those streams available. 
You, you will not derive value if all of that stuff disappears and goes poof two days after the race. If fans cannot find greater ways to interact and enjoy the sport, you won't make money. You will drive them away. Well, and the other real truth that you have to understand is the the super fan, the committed person, will find a way to get content. And if you don't provide a legal mechanism that generates you revenue, if you cannot offer that up in such a way that people can purchase and give you the revenue stream for it, you will drive them to the black market where they're not giving you anything for it. I mean, here's the thing. I would be willing, and I think we would both be willing, that if Formula One turned around and said, you know, through our website, you can stream, and we'd turn around and probably throw it to our Apple TV so that we could watch it on our big stream. But through our website, if you paid, say, 120 maybe even $200 a year for every single race, you could live stream the video. You could watch archive video. You know, maybe you don't watch You get essentially DVR functionality. And, oh, by the way, as part of that, you choose which broadcaster you want. So if, say, your preferred language is Spanish and you much rather watch the Univision feed, you could go and select the Univision feed and watch that and hear those commentary. No matter where you are in a country, you prefer the Russian language feed, you can listen to the Russian language feed and get all of their coverage. Or the Sky Sports feed, feed or the Channel 4 feed, or heaven forbid the NBC Sports feed. <laughs> if that's what you want to watch, as long as you pay the subscription, you can select your provider. And if you want to change mid-race, you could do that too. All you need to do is give us the money, and we'll make sure you get the content that you want to see. Give us the content, though. I mean, that would be a phenomenal program. I mean, heck, it's one of the things that I would love it if the BBC would offer a true pay, mm-hmm. pay to, to watch outside of the UK. But even beyond that, I mean, their app that has, you know, a lot of the, the stuff that you, you mean the spoiler see, app, the spoiler app, <laughs> their app it, to get the premium content on that. It's like 50 bucks. It is. And I would be much more interested in it if the races were run at a time that we would normally be up for. Or well, if I could turn around and say, all right, I've DVR'd the race. And now, now I'm going to go kick off the second screen on the app while I've got the, the video going on and, and let them run in sync. That would work too. Now, granted, you know, if I got to fast forward through commercials, that screws everything up, but still. But even still, to be able to kick off a second screen experience, I would think that, you know, for a price, and I mean, let them determine what the price is and see what the market would bear. But. For a price to be able to say... See, I wouldn't say that because you look at the merchandising now and the fact that, you know, a Mercedes t-shirt will normally cost you about $80 US. They will price that at about two grand a year. (laughs) Don't... No. (laughs) But they got to find out what the market will bear too because I'm telling you that stuff is not flying off the shelf on the Formula (laughs) One merchandise site. And I'm betting they get a whole lot more sales when they run a sale. Yeah. However, um, what I'm thinking is that if... F1, in conjunction with their app, 
also allowed you to time shift the race so that, okay, in the U.S., I want to watch it at 3 o'clock in the afternoon on a Sunday when it ran at 2 a.m. I'm now kicking it off, and I can kick off through your site. I can kick off the streaming coverage, and I can kick off the second second screen experience. Let me time shift my own race. You will gain a fan after the fact. Even though all of the stuff is over. You'll gain a fan because I can I can watch it on my terms. I, I can have my race day when I'm ready. I can watch all the pre-race coverage from a broadcaster that I like and I get actual value out of. Well, that's a condemnation of NBC Sports. It, it, you know, it, it's not just NBC Sports. So there are other um, – I heard Canada, their coverage is literally just the race coverage. There's no pre, pre-race. There's no post-race. It is the race. They call it. They're done. So it's not just the U.S., and there are some places that are even worse. But still, if I want to go somewhere and engage and get that extra information, give me that outlet. Right. But, you know, they're walking away from revenue streams. Mm -hmm. And I don't know about you in your job or our listeners in their jobs, but I spend a very significant portion of my job day Talking about not walking away from revenue streams. So, you know, whatever you do in life, there's a very rare group of people that could say, you know something, I don't need that kind of money. I would tell you, I think that a robust archive and demand system for video content and broadcaster content would be huge could you imagine if formula one turned around and said you know what in addition to your in-season race coverage that we normally get we're going to offer you the opportunity in the off season and they don't have to open up the entire library they could just turn around and go you know what it's the off season this year, we're going to offer you the opportunity to go ahead and watch, rewatch coverage from the 2002 season. Mm-hmm. And you can binge watch it if you want. You can go and, and, and recreate your own weekly coverage throughout the offseason, however you want to do it. But you have the ability for this offseason, it's 2002. And maybe the next year they decide... Uh, you know, let's go with 98. And then the next year, well, let's go with 2012. And just mix it up. Oh, there's a thousand things that they could do with off-season coverage. Now, I did just think of one problem with your plan. Okay. So while we're solving all of Formula mm-hmm. One's media issues, let me explain one problem. You, FOM controls the feed. Mm-hmm. They don't control the commentary by the various outlets. Right. That all gets overlaid. So FOM would be able to, in organically, they would only be able to provide the feeds. They would probably have to buy back from, in order to do the other, they'd have to be an agreement or a buyback for the coverage that, let's say, for example, BBC or Sky produces to have the overlay of that content. Yes and no. Because that's one of the things that a lot of people have spoken about is that 
for the most live full live races are not available in archive anywhere because the because FOM will not allow their release. Well, I understand FOM that, is blocking that release. I understand they block the the full live coverage post the race. I understand that. But there would have to be a buyback of some sort. BBC is not going to give away their commentators but, quality for free. True. But they can turn around and they can work out that licensing deal as part of the app. Mm -hmm. So that because all of this would have to be a, a cost share back to the broadcaster. Oh, yeah. And truly, if they really wanted to, and, and there may be international laws in the way that, that would prevent it. But you turn around and say your revenue stream as a broadcaster through this app is based on the number of viewers that come to it. So if you attract more viewers from another country, we will give you a greater percentage. That may be an issue. I don't know if legally they can do that. But well, it is the internet, so who knows? There's other there's other concerns I would have. Now, I moving B, uh, the, the UK coverage from BBC to Channel 4 may eliminate some piece of this. But with the BBC, that is a, um, a government-subsidized yeah. thing. So they, there's, there's probably some other issues with that process and their own inherent rules about being outside the UK and then that would violate that and the, there there's there's a large level of th complexity to get to that point but if you had nothing else if you had nothing else to be able to subscribe and say I can time shift my coverage I'm going to hire an FOM commentator to do if you didn't even partner with the other broadcasters. Mm -hmm. Hire a guy to do basic coverage, to narrate what is going on. Doesn't have to be the big pre and post mm -hmm. explanations, just basic coverage. Be able to translate that into several languages around the world. I guarantee you would have a greater viewership and you would offset the loss in television viewers by having this on, this on interwebs experience. The only concern, and then we, we got to move on, but the only concern here would be if the online viewership started to take away from your broadcast viewership, and as a result, some of your broadcasters would then decide that possibly it's not worth carrying a broadcast anymore. Well, at that point, then you would talk about you would have to you would have to then look at can you leverage the broadcast con content in the online world yes and say okay i realize you're losing tv coverage but we have this big population if we cost share this if we kick back to you can we continue both and you might actually wind up making that shift to having the broader yeah. commentary piece but anyway, moving on, I'm sorry to have taken so much time with that, <laughs> but s the way social media and the way the publicity is being used in Formula One is biting them in the bottom as much, if not more, in my humble opinion and ever so right opinion, than the constant rule changes and the manufactured show than... I, I think that they lose more because they are not engaging people where they want to be engaged within their media outlets that are available to them than trying to manufacture a show to make up for it. And that's my issue. I think it's more along the lines of 
if you have fans that want to pay you for your content and pay you for access, find ways to capitalize on that. Well, yes. But you're not losing people because the show's not good. You're losing people because you're not meeting them where they want to be met. And that's a it's problem. Both. It's both. It may be both. But you can't say that it's all one or all the other. And you can't scream at the clouds about the show when you are actively preventing media being consumed the way the population consumes media today. Okay, so moving on. I'm trying. <laughs> but you got me fired up. I'm you 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 fired me up. This is a problem. So, Force India has come out and said the door is still open for a partnership with Aston Martin. Well, duh. Well, We've got a little more information on this. Uh, Force India COO Atmar Safnauer, I'm assuming is how you say his last name, still hoping it can resurrect the idea and bring Aston Martin on board for 2017. He says he doesn't think the answer is no. He says for 2016, there's no collaboration. Definitely it's off the table. But they have further discussions later on with Aston to see if there's a possibility for future years. So this door is not completely closed. Now, what he has said is that talks with Aston have been serious, but the key to completing an agreement will be in F1 delivering a platform of rules that entices the manufacturer in. He says, for 2017, there is still a possibility and the door is still open. They'll reconvene again to see if there's any possibility for the future. There were just some decision-making points that were unknown at that time, and they just needed more time to see what the sport was doing about the engine and some other things. They need to have some of those answers before they can make that decision of entering Formula One or not, and only time would give them those answers. So in other words, F1 needs to get off their butt and make a decision about 2017. Mm -hmm. All they've done so far, and, and this came out of nowhere. It sounded like this was now dead, but there have at least been the measurements for the 2017 cars agreed on. That's about it. Don't they have to have, like, the full rules nailed in place by the end of March? Well, there's an that, that's the, the new agreement. It was supposed to be by March 1st that needed to be done. The, the agreement is that they have until the end of March to sort this out. So, but there have been a few other changes besides the driver of the day award. Yes. Leading into it, Christian Horner has warned against doing things like reverse grids and time ballast. Basically, if you're more successful, we make your car heavier. Yeah. I agree. That's, again, let's go back to stupid Bernie brainwaves. Mm -hmm. Reverse grids kind of okay. And I'm warming to it more as I hear more about how it could work. I know you're not a fan at all. I mean, I get on one There are better hand, ways to fix it. Fighting, you know, having your best drivers fight all the way through the field is, you know, one thing. But I just see the increased risk for accidents, which I think violates the safety rules. But if you're mixing up the grid anyway, mm -hmm. time there's a greater risk. Well, then I think they should just put everybody's name in a hat. Eliminate all qualifying, name in hat. Well, that would mix up the grid. Well, the teams and the FIA, not yet the commission, 
have agreed not to do that. <laughs> not to. The, no, names will not be going in a hat. <laughs> they have come out, and, and, and when I read this, I was like, well, what the heck? The, the first headlines that came flying across were that the teams have agreed to knock out qualifying for 2016. And I heard this, and I'm like, I've watched enough NBC coverage to wonder, how is this any different from the knockout qualifying that we heard that they've been doing for all these years? I know. <laughs> well. How is it different? Here's how, is, how it is Explain me. Um, Q1 will be 16 minutes in duration. After seven minutes, the slowest driver is eliminated. And then the slowest driver is eliminated every one minute and 30 seconds thereafter until the checkered flag, which should result in seven drivers eliminated with 15 progressing to Q2. Okay. Q2 is 15 minutes in duration. After six minutes, the slowest driver is eliminated eliminated with the slowest driver eliminated every one minute and 30 seconds thereafter until the checkered flag resulting in seven drivers eliminated and only eight progressing to q3 okay q3 would run 14 minutes with the slowest driver eliminated after five minutes and then the slowest driver eliminated every one minute and 30 seconds thereafter until the checkered flag leaving just two drivers left in the final one minute and 30 seconds. So what this is going to do is it will eliminate the um, that last lap piece where you have everybody putting in their best times in the last lap. Mm -hmm. You will also eliminate, anytime you have weather, the changing conditions on the track. That's my bigger concern right there is that when there is changing conditions and we find a track speeding up, that could be a real big issue here. And the first time somebody gets screwed because they don't get a chance to set a lap time because halfway through a session or, or even the need halfway through a session for a teams to go from the full wets to the inners because we've hit that crossover point but we're in the elimination zone so if you go and take that risk of having it of, of jumping mm -hmm. in to change your tires you get booted because there's you're in that yeah that's where i think this is going to get really really messy yeah i don't know i i'm not and I, I posted an article about this on our website to make sure that we had some stuff going. I, I don't think this was what needed to be fixed. This is where I don't think the attention should have been focused. I think attention should have been focused on what's going on on race day and why the racing looks the way it does on race day and not so much on qualifying. It's my thought. You got nothing? I got nothing. Really? Because I'm getting tired of hearing all the things that are wrong with Formula One. And we are trying to fix it in such a way that doesn't actually fix anything. And I'm over it. And it makes me angry. And it makes me want to shout at clouds. Well, that's okay. Because this new thing is so complex and so difficult. Yes. That... Yeah, it's not happening in Melbourne. No, it's going to take like five races. To it's implement. not happening probably until the Spanish GP. 
because, well, basically, you have to rewrite the whole timing and scoring system so that you can do this. Yeah, exactly. And that takes a little bit of time, it turns out. <laughs> so we, at this point, will not be seeing this new qualifying, it looks like, until Spain. At which point, I predict that the uh, NBC Sports coverage will be trying to explain this knockout qualifying system from Spain until Abu Dhabi. Well... We're going to hear about it before every race as they explain it. You know, this is a system that's coming. But the other question is, this is a fairly significant rules change that's going to happen in the middle of the season Mm -hmm. or partway through the season. Are the teams really open to that? They apparently agreed to it. I don't know if they agreed to the delayed start of it, though. Mm -hmm. So that could kill. Because remember, only two of the three checks have been passed so far. So it could be that this goes to the F1 commissioner, the World Motorsport Council, whoever the heck it is. And they say, well, yeah, no, um, (laughs) you're not doing this midseason. Try again for next year. So this isn't necessarily a done deal yet. And this little bit over that they can't do it before Spain may kill it for 2016. Interesting. That That's my thought is what's about to happen. Now, I did see a headline of an article. I won't tell you that I read the article. But apparently Christian Horner said that it won't take teams very long to get a hang of this new qualifying system. Yeah, I, I saw that too. And, and I figured we would talk about it next week depending on what happened with uh, the, the World Motorsport Council. Sure thing. Um, Pirelli has come out. You know how we were expecting that cliff? They told us we're going to get the performance cliff, that all of a sudden it's going to happen. Pirelli said, yeah, there's no cliff. It's not happening. I thought the drivers didn't want a cliff. I, whatever. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I see how interested you are in that at this point. It's this back and forth. There's going to be a cliff. There won't be a cliff. There will be a cliff. No, there won't be a cliff. Enough already. Um... Pirelli has been told, um, as you recall, initially they came out and said that, yeah, we can't do this whole HD tire thing and um, give you faster times because the tires can't handle it. Pirelli has now been told, make us faster tires. Mm. So I guess that means the HD tires will be going away for 2017. Okay. Um, Pirelli is also now apparently set to test 2017 tires, tires expected for 2017 with a V8 engine car. Interesting. My assumption is the thought, A, they've got to do something to test it. They, they don't have a choice. Mm-hmm. Something has to get done. But the other is maybe the hope is that this will give them some idea of what the the forces are going to be. I mean, it's not a close analog, so I don't know how this is going to work. Yeah. But, yeah, that's what they're looking to do. So testing. Yes, testing happened. We should talk about that. The first thing we heard, and probably not a huge surprise, is that Mercedes set themselves up to try, quote-unquote, unusual parts at testing. Oh. Now, all that we know that they have done is they have tested a new nose. Right. It is a new nose that has, honestly, it looks like it was held on with, with tape. It came out Thursday. The, the joints are really, really, really small. Mm. Um, 
shortly after it came out, there was a story that a couple of people ran with claiming that um, they're not sure they're going to be able to run with that nose no matter how it does because it may not be legal. The problem is these noses aren't allowed to flex. Mm. And at the time of running that nose, they had not been able to stiffen it enough. So I don't know if that's happened. I don't know if that's the nose that we're going to see. What we have seen so far. Now, again, testing comes with the caveat that you cannot accurately judge standings just yet. There's things like the weird skinny Mercedes nose going, and we don't know what fuel is being run or the testing programs or the bits and all of that. So it's really hard to tell where the teams stand, especially since this is the very first test. Right. What we do know is that Mercedes put everybody to shame when it come, came to the number of laps that were run. Right. By far. Nico ran 332 laps with Lewis running 343 laps. That's a lot of laps. I mean, that's what, double race distances for, oh no, that's triple race distances for most. Basic, I think somebody had come out and said that that's equivalent to a full weekend's, full race weekend running mm. that they did. Wow. Yeah, and, and it may have been like a full race weekend a day. <laughs> that was done oh wow yeah um i believe toro rosso was the next closest when it came to and unfortunately in looking at, at my chart oh, here we go yeah mercedes did 675 miles uh the next closest with toro rosso with 447 sauber with 440 or, or excuse me 430 the lowest numbers of miles being manor with 254 and mclaren with 257 Haas with 281. Nice. Um, in terms of uh, kilometers per power units, Mercedes put 7,629 kilometers on their power units. Now, I would assume this is for all the teams okay. that are running their power units, which would explain why Honda was just at 1,196. You're talking one car a day. Right. So that makes a little more sense. Um the 2016 Ferrari, as in Toro Rosso, okay. was 2,947 kilometers, 4,081 kilometers for f the 2015 Ferrari engine. So 2015 is Haas. Oh, I'm sorry. 2015 is, I got that backwards, 4,081 kilometers for the Toro Rossos mm. with Ferrari and Sauber at 2,947. Okay. Um, Renault, which, again, just run on their car and the Red Bull, 3,314 kilometers. It's like half of what Mercedes ran. It is, but, but it's, on a it's more than the Ferrari ran. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, huge numbers put down. A lot was made over the fact that the Ferraris set the fastest times, especially in the first two days, mm -hmm. until it was pointed out that the Ferraris did that on the Snuggle Bear tires. The, Mercedium, the Mercedes ran on the mediums. And never ran on anything but mediums. The entire test period did not do anything but mediums. Yeah. 
and they weren't that far off the pace. It was only about half a second on the mediums. So it looks like there's still much to come. Well, I was reading articles that talked a lot about that they expect another year of Mercedes dominance, mm-hmm. um, but that they think the field is tightening. That's, that is the best guess based on testing. Um, obviously, I think Mercedes has got some reliability uh, in the underhand. They, they've got that under control. Mm-hmm. Um, I think McLaren, we did not see either Fernando or Button get out of the car and cry or jump for joy. No, they didn't. Actually, I was going to talk about McLaren. Um, Jensen came out on Monday. So this is very early in the testing. And he, he said that, you know, there are de- there's definitely been some progress made. They're not there yet. He does say that in, in terms of the car, there are no negative points. Um, he says that the standout is the deployment has been very good and very consistent throughout the day, which is a big deal because that didn't work last year. Right. They, they could not make it through any kind of the long runs. Um, he says there's still weaknesses with the car that they need to improve, but it was a good day, and he's reasonably happy. He says outright pace, you don't know. Um, if you look at the times, he would say that uh, they're miles away. But they weren't going out there to set a lap time. They were doing checks. And again, this is Monday. He says they're they're obviously not going to be the quickest car at the test and probably won't be for most of the year. But as long as they can see improvements, the feeling of the car is good and something to build on. Um, Monday, he was sixth quickest overall, 1.796 seconds adrift of, of Vettel and where Vettel was. Now, what we know is that this engine, at least, is not the engine that's running next week at the test. Mm. There is supposed to be a significantly improved engine coming next week. Well, we've heard that for a year plus now from McLaren, so we'll see what happens. Well, okay. okay. We heard from his teammate also. Yes, and how does Fernando feel? First off, let's get to the first thing that he said, because there's been some question about Fernando's future and and whether or not he was going to get pissed off and walk away or what was going to happen here. And he says, as of right now, I have a contract for three years. I'm not thinking about anything else. He added, this is a very important year for us. Um, he says that he would, of course, see the system out and adding, and the next one. Interesting. So this is what he's saying right now. Um, he says, the ambition is very high. I'm not here just to travel around the world and to jump in the car and have some fun on Sunday. I am here to win, which, really? <laughs> um, he ended his first day in the 2016 car eighth fastest, 3.2 seconds off the pace. However, to put that in comparison to Jensen's performance the day before, he was 0.7 seconds faster than Jensen. Okay. So, yeah, I don't know. But again, we don't know what they were testing. Now, the other thing that Fernando said, because, you know, we were talking last week, we had yet to hear the bravado Mm -hmm. of... Anybody from McLaren Honda, apparently it's coming from Fernando now. (laughs) Fernando is apparently convinced that only McLaren Honda has the capability to knock Mercedes off the top of Formula One, even though it will take until at least 2017 to do so. (laughs) 
Interesting. I should also mention, and, and I didn't throw this in the lineup, and I meant to, um, Honda has replaced the head of the in, the Formula One engine development group. Oh. Mr. Arison has been replaced. Um, that replacement, there was a lot of speculation last year that it was going to happen during the year. And, you know, he was one of the ones who was called to task quite a bit for saying, Barcelona, it's going to happen in Barcelona. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to be on the podium. Never mind it, we're eight years back in terms of performance. Um, they did it right at the start of testing, which people thought was curious. Hmm. Now, what was not heavily reported on is apparently Honda Corporate, which this group is part of, has a mandatory retirement age of 60. Right. Mr. Araya is 59. Ah. So I'm not necessarily sure that this is, we didn't like what we saw, saw in the offseason. This year doesn't look promising, so you're out so much as you're coming up on your mandatory retirement. Let's do a graceful transition. And that definitely could be it. I mean... I don't know when his birthday is, but if he had vacation and, you know, other things, he may have, you know, it may have been a matter of if you leave now, we pay you until you're 60. I mean, yeah. that's the piece. You know, this all, all of the time off package pushes it to be now or his birthday was, you know, March 1st. I mean, and that could be it, too. Um, he has been re he's he's not leaving the company yet. He's been reassigned to a different group within the company. So, yeah, th this could be his, his twilight assignment within the company, for all we know. Yeah, he was assigned to planning his retirement party. Yeah, division. that kind of that that may be what it is. Yeah. Um, moving on to Ferrari. Okay. So. Ferrari has said that they are bringing in an evolution of the 2016 F1 engine for Australia. So basically, the engine that we're, we're seeing right now performance-wise shouldn't be what we're seeing in Australia. Okay. So there's the other thing is maybe we shouldn't be reading too much into what we're seeing from Ferrari just yet. Well, that's that's the case of all testing. Again, we don't know what they're testing. We don't know what they're looking for or at. We don't know what we don't know. Yeah. Um, Force India did really, really well. Yeah, I heard that. Um, they were among the fastest runners in the first three days of preseason testing, uh, with Perez finishing third on Tuesday and Nico actually setting the pace on Wednesday. Um, as a result, I guess there were some accusations that the team was quote unquote showboating, mm -hmm. um, to which, um, folks went to, to Sergio and, and said, uh, yeah, what's the deal? Are, are you guys running this really light on fuel to get up there and, 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 and make sure you're, you're, you're up at the top of the timesheets and maybe attracting sponsors and all that other fun stuff. Um, and Sergio says, no, we didn't do anything like that. Our times were fair and square. Um, of course, this makes it really difficult to stay where to say where we stand. All I can say is that we are heading in the right direction. Um, he says, take for example Tuesday with Ferrari first and Red Bull second on the timesheets. He points out both cars were on the ultra soft tires. However, the Force India were on the super soft. Mm. So, yeah, something could be going on there. Now, didn't you tell me? 
sometime over dinner, sometime this past week, that the Snuggle Bear tire is not looking like it's lasting a whole lap? Well, to be clear, and, and this was one of the concerns about testing at Barcelona, Barcelona is n- not a track where soft tires like this are normally run. Mm. Um, so as a result, they're, they're, they're degrading very, very quickly. And it was expected coming into Barcelona that they were going to degrade quickly um, to the point that, yeah, they're not, they weren't sure that they would make it through a full lap at maximum performance. Yeah. But it's the nature of what Barcelona was, and Barcelona wasn't supposed to get these tires anyway, but they got to run them so they can see what they do. Got it. So not necessarily a, a negative on the tires yet. Um, Haas. Yes, our American team. Now, they were beset with a problem on day one where their front wing fell off. (laughs) Um, They are apparently still working on a permanent fix, but they did not have any further issues with that. Duct tape? Um, I don't know. I'm assuming duct tape. Maybe. Um, However, they put in much more mileage than they expected for a new team. They put in 281 laps at the hands of both of their drivers, which was much better that, than they expected, to the point that on Thursday, um, when Esteban Gutierrez was on the track, they basically conducted a race simulation. Wow. Which is pretty early for a new team to start doing that. That's awesome um, news. They are surprised by how well it has gone as well. Um, you know, going back to the the front wing he says you know with the front wing i wouldn't call that smooth it was not enjoyable to lose a front wing on the first day but i'm positive because of how well we recovered from it we have a solution in the afternoon we were out again we did some measurements we stopped running at top speed and the next day we were up to top speed again we are as a team very happy with what we achieved this week and proud of it so they've got a job list of things that they need to fix it wasn't completely perfect um, but all in all, they are very happy with how they did. They did not anticipate that they would get all the running in that they did. And to get a whole race distance, they thought was fantastic. Um, they want to get Esteban uh, to do some faster laps, uh, but ran out of time because of an electronics issue. Speaking of electronics issue, and, and it, this does seem a little curious, but Renault had some electronics and software problems that delayed their start. Okay. Seems a little odd, you know, being that they make the engine in the car and the software. <laughs> I, they had gremlins. It's okay. Yeah. And finally, we have Manor. Yes. Who ran fewer laps. We don't know why Manor ran fewer laps. We know one of the reasons why is because Ryu Harianto is... Well, pretty much. <laughs> As he puts it, he's still finding the limits. Well, he spun uh, at least once a day while he was driving. Um, and on, Well, on, yeah, Wednesday and Thursday. He spun on Wednesday at turn five. All they say is he lost control on Thursday at turn four and lightly swiped the barriers. <laughs> um, but... The party line from Manor is that he is a rookie and he's making rookie mistakes. And that's all that is going on. Um, they did mention that their other driver, 
That's Whirlin, right? Yes, Pascal Whirlin. Um, has had a lot more experience in these kinds of cars than Harianto has. And so they, they said the quote was, his spins are expected. Expected, huh? Expected. Well, his comments of his experience now in F1, mm-hmm. they're, they're, they're interesting. He says the biggest change he has noticed between GP2 and F1 is the number of people he has to work with. Not the power of the car, how it handles, or anything. The number of people. What he says, it's really interesting coming from GP2 to F1, and is a huge difference. In GP2, you only work with maybe two engineers. In F1, you have to work with 30 to 40 engineers. And so there are a lot of people involved in a lot of processes that I have to follow as well. It is a big change. I think in time I will get used to it. Dude, you better. (laughs) If you want to keep that seat, you better figure out how to get used to it. He says, but I'm getting more confident with the team and with the relationship and with all the engineers. Obviously, I am still here learning. There are still two more days of testing for me. So I will just try to do my best to learn as much as I can before the first Grand Prix. Somebody get him an ice cream. (laughs) Pet his head. You don't like him already. (laughs) (laughs) This is your new whipping boy. Maybe. This is the new Maldonado. I can feel it already. Ooh, we could only be so lucky. I know. We could only be so lucky. (laughs) All right, on that note. On that note, that finally brings us to all that. We didn't even go that far over, so we're good. Well, yeah, we had to have the side note about... Is it the show, and is it okay that somebody be dominant for a while? Yes and no. To both. <sighs> to both. That fence post has got to hurt that you're sitting <laughs> on. <laughs> but, uh, you know, let us know what your thoughts are, either on the Facebook page or on the website, um, and as well as your thoughts on the new qualifying format. Should it actually get off the ground? Because I'm kind of wondering if it actually will. Remember, you can find us over at www.theblokeandabird.com or over on Facebook if you do a search for Bloke and a Bird Show. Um, you can find us on iTunes. We'd love to get a review or over on uh, Stitcher. And on that note, we'll call it a show.